Hello and welcome to the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Hello. It's episode 20. It is, how exciting. Who would have thought that we'd mm. come this far? We're going to get a lot further though, because we're gearing up for the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. We're going to chatting to lots of people for the Edinburgh Fringe, talking about their shows and their spectacular events. Just point out that we're actually at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, we've got a show on called Cacophony, that's going to be at the Sweet Venues Holyrood, um, and it's starring... <laughs> Hera Rose Andrews, who you may have um, seen and been in a previous podcast with us, talking about family testicles. Uh, it's a solo show, and uh, as you say, it's going to be at the Sweet Holyrood uh, from the 3rd to 29th of August. Yes. So check us out on Facebook and on Twitter, and indeed on the uh, Cast Iron website, where we'll be chatting out um, cacophony quite a bit. Yeah, and if you can't make it to Edinburgh, then we'll be doing a preview show at Sweet Venues Jukebox, and that'll be on the 22nd of July. That's right, and and if you can't make Edinburgh and you can't make Brighton, um, we have got an Indiegogo fundraising, because I I think you gain more (laughs) money if you've got a list. (laughs) <laughs> that may well be true, actually. It, it might be. So come to our fundraising um, <laughs> website, uh, which, as I say, will be on the on the, we'll mention it on the Facebook and the Twitter. Yep. Once or twice. Yeah. Um, but episode twenty, which is what we're about to listen to now, it's actually quite special for a lot of reasons, apart from being episode twenty. So live recording. Yes, we teamed up with Smooth Poetry Magazine and Cast Iron Theatre. Uh, got together to do a poetry evening with Rachel Shorer. Yes. It's hosted by Yvette, Yvette May, who um, we've spoken to before. Yes, about um, Yvette May, who was um, in her own one-woman show during Brighton Fringe, uh, mm-hmm. 10 Steps to Happiness. Yeah. So it's recorded live at the Sweet Venues Jukebox. Beth Summerford, also known as Sam Chitterden, yes. and she's from Smooth Poetry Magazine. That's right. uh, she does some poetry. And then Rachel Shorer, who is uh, known for her spoken word. Yeah. Um, she also had a show on at Hogrown and I believe at the festival as well, Fringe, yeah. called Ten Mistakes Every Girl Makes in Her Twenties. That's right. Uh, we did a bit of an open mic. We didn't record that bit because no. we thought that's a terrifying prospect yeah. for any poet. So we had some people get up and do some any open human? mic. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what we did record after our open mic session was um, a bit of brilliant uh, Q&A. Fantastic. Yes, it was a really lovely night. So we should acknowledge that the uh, the sound quality that you're going to get in tonight's episode is not the usual high quality you expect from the cast iron theater podcast no exactly it's it's a little bit tinny but yeah. it was our first live record recording so yeah. we're kind of just delighted to to have it there and yeah. you know being live action yeah we weren't able to um mm. wrap up the poets in cotton wool no either exactly. metaphorically or actually physically no no and who would want to frankly so hopefully you'll uh it won't uh, mar your listening in any way yeah. and uh yeah do get involved get in touch and look out for cacophony from car sign theater yeah. coming soon find us on itunes mm. on um, soundcloud uh, rate us subscribe to us all of those good things and in the meantime we'll leave you with yvette may introducing cast iron theater and smooth magazine cast iron windows yes Welcome to Cast Iron and Smooth Poetry Evening. It's their first poetry evening. It's a collaboration between Smooth Poetry and Cast Iron, and hopefully there'll be many more. 
We are recording this evening for uh, Cast Iron's podcast, uh, although we won't be recording the open mic section. So if you do have have a secret poem squirreled away that you want to try out, you can. We're going to start the evening with Rachel Shora, and she's going to read a poem, and then we'll have Sam Chisnid and do one as well. Then we will open for the open mic, and I'm going to try one. And then we're going to open the floor to a Q&A so you can ask these lovely ladies some questions. And then after that, we'll have two poems to close. Okay, awesome. So, Rachel, two. Great. Yay. I'm going to stand and I'm going to check Sam. I'm doing more than you are right now. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, so, hi there. It's really nice having such an intimate kind of group of people. So, I'll do a poem. Uh, this one is called Run Faster. Run Faster! shouts the man at me and Deborah. Deborah's rounding the corner of the seafront bench shelter ahead of me. I'm exhaling like Darth Vader (laughs) rasping, brattled breath. We started running together, me and Deborah, last summer. Every Tuesday night, we're out there on the seafront. And tonight, when this guy shouts at us, I am running a seven-minute 30 mile. That is four minutes faster than when we plodded through our first three miler back when our evening runs were sunlit. And back then, as now, we felt weakness in our hips and in our knees as if they might at any moment give out on us. We've gotten used to men shouting at us. The wheezing ones, who see you coming, stop and wait so as you pass by they can tell you, running's bad for your knees! (laughs) (laughs) Run faster, hollers tonight's fella, and Deborah just runs past. Wheels round the bench shelter, bounds off on her next lap, while I... For once, tonight, exasperated, happy, shout back, we're trying, and he calls, keep going ladies, a runner himself, maybe, who meant encouragement when he first shouted, or perhaps my response called out some kindness from him, whatever. It doesn't really matter, and the end of this poem could be that sometimes what you think is strangers haranguing you in the street is actually encouragement. (laughs) 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 But that is not the point. The point where your focus should be is where ours is. On me and Deborah. Out there on the seafront, week after week, mile after mile, breath after gasping breath, we are out there, trying, getting faster.
poem from my show, which is called Ten Mistakes Every Girl Makes in Her Twenties, um, and it kind of does what it says on the tin. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually performed it here during the lovely Hove Grown Festival, um, so I'm going to do it as I did it then, kind of a bit more in role than normal. This is mistake number five. <laughs> Which is fuck buddies. <laughs> you go together. The three of you, flatmates, you sit giggling in the waiting room, making jokes about getting rounds of applause and eyeing up the other patients. You're confident. They won't find anything. You're middle class. These kinds of things don't happen to girls like you. You're confident that time on the tarp in the woods won't have caught you. No Edinburgh. New Year's Eve when he just accidentally... These kinds of things don't happen. They make you call your exes, says Jess. I deleted their numbers, laughs Katie. I don't even remember their names, say you. <laughs> the joker. The one-upper. The one who always pushes things just a little bit further. In turn, you will get called in. The nurse asks... Have you ever had sex with anyone who might have had HIV? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. You're laughing. Although he took so little care with you. Who knows? And she is not amused. Stirruped. When she examines you, you think of butterflies inside glass cases, their wings pinned open, the care with which such specimens must be handled. She must have seen hundreds, thousands of vaginas, you tell yourself. You're nothing special here. The time comes with a speculum. And she's gentle, like he never was. And you tell her that your mum is a nurse because she reminds you of that woman, although this one is round and soft, where yours was sharp, thin, and anyway worked in paediatrics. Never this specialty. All done, she says, retreats behind the curtain. As you're putting your knickers back on, she calls through. They'll text you. Your results. It's weird to do that one. I'm so used to it. Uh, <laughs> and, and now I walk over here and then I do the you guys are getting off lightly because in the show I do my mistakes, but then I also invite people to tell me about their mistakes. So, um, yeah, so uh, find me afterwards. I'd like to hear about them. Um, I'm going to do one more, which I haven't quite got memorized yet. 
This is a field spotter's guide. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Safari. Today, we hope if we're very lucky to see a wild person. A brief word of warning before our expedition. Seeing in their natural environment, pussies are different. Glass screens. The pussies the public typically sees are pink and neat. <laughs> Selected or surgically trimmed to look small, sweet. Mostly bald in captivity. <laughs> Prevents mice and, for the sake of the viewer, makes the anatomy easy to see. Domestic pussies get prodded and spat on. Do tricks, squirt, vanish objects, pastiche, <laughs> wild behaviours. You'll witness soon. <gasps> Look! There! Quickly! A wild pussy! Keep your hands inside the vehicle. She is not for petting, not tame, like you're used to. <laughs> but look now. Oh, how exciting. See how she's swelling. How thrilling. This means that she's pleased. Let's edge nearer. Even better. Now, watch closely. <laughs> What we are seeing here is self-slickening. <laughs> way of knowing this pussy is feeling playful. <sighs> and now, oh wow, oh this really is exciting. See her expanding, opening her welcome. She likes you. Go on. Don't be frightened. Move slowly. Be gentle. Have a little patience. Let the wild pussy grab you. <laughs> <laughs> We had a debate about whether she was going to call me Sam or Beth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sam, Beth, Beth. 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 The burning of the cops. Near dusk, the shortest day, midwinter sun about to set, and we are everyone. The lantern bearers down by the library, jostling down Ship Street, past the gallery. The drinkers, street sleepers, the young girls late for skating, moving further from the light. A man's about to spill his bright and blonde. 
girls moan, the bus has gone the long way round. Then it's as if the solstice rings a bell and winter creases. Everything is still. We stop like skaters frozen in a death spiral, suspended now like sun and earth. The girl's protesting spit is caught mid-air. Beer hangs. The homeless man is, of course, still there. The corpuscles of light sprinkling the lane are dots of braille that spell out winter's name. But freezing is a momentary pause. One tick, the sun is moving back to us. The skaters spiral in. A woman stoops to give the man hot food. Now the beer slops. We throw our lanterns on the ship ablaze and celebrate the lengthening of days. So, um, last um, Lent, Lent of, not this year but the year before, I took part in something called the Forty Sonnets, which was a group who, um, for every single day of Lent, abstained from writing free verse <laughs> and were only allowed to write sonnets. So I wrote a sonnet a day for every day of Lent. So that's 40, 40 sonnets, some of which are in this little, um, little uh, pamphlet. And so I wrote a couple of sonnets. And then I sent a few of them out there. So when you're sort of being very prolific, um, there were a few that I sort of just let go. Some of them found in homes, which is great. So this is. Um, a sonnet to the hangover <laughs> and, and the night before and Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely and drunk. Tomorrow we'll abhor the sun, its shine, and slop about in shades, collect a stack of dirty glasses, toughen bric-a-brac, found in the depot of and meant for wine. And you'll give me that look to underline, though we both crossed that Rubicon, your knack of making me ashamed, swearing that Jack, that tawny rogue, is not a friend of mine. But now, we've mutual praises to be sung by firelight, and this south-of-the-border drug makes us elaborate and clever. The booze's non-discretionary tongue gives us back ourselves in a new order, and we are drunk and lovelier than ever. <laughs> um, here's another little sonnet, which is, uh, so the title of this sonnet comes from a list of occupations given in the 1881 census. If you're stuck for something to write a poem about, I, I heartily recommend Googling 1881 census because it's got. So the list includes Turnip Shepherd. Knocker <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> up of work people. <laughs> Knocking up in the morning. And, and this one, which is my absolute favourite, the colourist of artificial fish. <laughs> Someone start colouring. <laughs> Someone start doing it. Yeah. Fish. Um, and this, I submitted this into the Sandbank Poetry Competition, so it was a kind of um, it's a London thing. So, this next. so the trick is understanding line of sight. The upper is mud olive like the riverbed. 
the under, shimmering and bright, the newly sun-pit surface of the water. I am Surat. The dots are scales, the play of light on something sinuous and moving. The dark is stippled black. Two jet eyes say I see, a single brushstroke is a grimace. That's how to animate the wooden fish. But how to paint the bowed thing of your heart to show the flutter of its dancing flesh. Or how articulate the mermaid swish the muscle gripping, slippery and salt of that deep place whose gripping remains. So I'm glad we both got funny poems. <laughs> 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 cool. Okay. Um, so this next poem is one that I wrote. Um, I performed, I think, my first. Probably that I performed in Atlanta years ago was um, a play called Seven Jewish Children. It's a very short play written by Carol Churchill. A very controversial play, but it got me thinking. Part of its kind of narrative is the question how is it that um, that kind of the Jewish people come from the Holocaust to, to a place in which Israel slavery finds itself today? So yeah. I don't have an answer to that question, but it got me thinking about the, the kind of chain that links generations together. So this is um, for the children. Our tail is tight wound, like helices of beaded code. It holds a tail, a thread, as who we are slips from her to her to her. It is a ball of twine wound tight like a child knotting her limbs invisible. It is a plait of umbilical cord like a wet twist of laundry. A toy hoop. It is the dotted shipping line across an atlas page taking us home. A string of red medallions, or memories, a photograph, a recipe, a coat. It is the ring of our arms as we dance because we must. A faded tailor's tail, its marks so faint that each side seems the same. It is a looped story, a bandage, a mobius strip. Next thing I want to read is one um, I wrote after seeing a, a sculpture in the Tate Modern, which was um, it's by Mona Hatoum, and it was it's basically a cast of a divan bed. So it's, it's kind of a, a traditional divan bed, but made out of steel. And it got me thinking about. Um, how, how it can be that somewhere that feels that it should be safe and comfortable, like a bed, might actually be anything but bed. It is as if she sleeps on a girder, fearful of falling, of moving, lest she give her awakeness away. Hemmed in by scaffolding, she has poured herself onto the bed, posted her limbs in position. She lies a thousand feet above the bedroom carpet. Thighs mottled by steel, arms adorned with thumbprint bracelets. Most nights there is a muddling of limbs, a voiceless barter. Her ribs are iron struts, her hips are hiding place, she has turned herself inside out. She knows if he knew, he would crack her like a fortune cookie. <laughs>
to do one, um, it's a Scottish one, but Underworlds, which is the one where we show I did in Fringe. And in Underworlds, um, Arachne the Weaver from Greek mythology retells the stories of uh, women from, from history, some, myth- some mythological and some real. So she retells the story of Eurydice, who in, in traditional stories is Orpheus um, goes to the underworld to try and rescue her. But in this version of the story, it's actually Eurydice who has agency and makes her happen. Let's speak of Orpheus's muse and how she taught love so strong, and adversary of birds and beasts came near each time he sang. How she plucked him, the girl, Eurydice. The day she dies, the world itself is grief. The pebbles weep, the rivers pause, each leaf drips loss. See how she goes ahead and leads the way under the world, her summer brief. She has already gone to ground, to earth, interred beneath the cemetery tilth. She's feeling in, brimful of emptiness, returning to the idea of herself. She skirts the great black lake along the path that spools its strip of living toward earth. She knows the silent darkness is not void, but fertile with a pot of blood of death. Drab birds are roosting in her hair, their tongues sit silent on the branches of her lungs. Behold, the girl is dead. Only her shroud holds memory of the one who once sparked songs. By the sweet stench of decay, she's wrapped up in a shawl of certainty, inhabiting the fabric of her sleep, like workers stretch into a holiday. He's distraught. The poet Orpheus, his will honed on the whetstone of his loss, he strives to fill the void, chasing her scent and the unfinished business of the ghost. Striding across the sticks, the mourner comes, his grief has opened up the sleeper's tomb. The fields, Cerberus, all holding breath. Oh, but Hades has tight as a drum. Unfinished business cannot stay that way. He rails against her life impatiently. No matter what, he will be torn apart. But he is the one abandoned here at his day. With Hades, Orpheus makes trade, a woman. Eurydice is unmoved and takes a dim view, is in little hurry to return, pregnant with death, oblivious to him, no longer his, with his she was to start. She's loosened, uncontainable, depart. She shimmers like a puddle of spilt ink, reflects his glance away like change of heart. As they walk, with Hermes as their guide, you wouldn't recognise the blushing bride now purpled into menopause and lost to Orpheus still more they were strong. As Orpheus leaves messenger and news, his aching for years, the only desk of her sight races, hearing waters, mouths that something snagged is wrong, and masks the news. She catches up at last, so close that she can hear her breathe. Leaves on her threshold, longs for her, yet sees a softness in the light ahead that says, Look on, another springtime's near. One last unwedding gift she has to give. She reaches out, says, Orpheus, go, live, 
looks back at his bride, bridegroom's own death, continues half the passage, back to life. She watches as he turns to silhouette against the world that seems to burn too bright. He is becoming stranger. And she turns away towards the central point. So we're going to move on to the Q and A. So if you would like to come up to the stage, and we'll open the floor to questions. Anything you so desire, you, you can be as involved oh, as you like. <laughs> well, actually, I've got one. Do you ever make up your own words? Yeah. Um, well, I so I I tend to so I've written a, a, a kind of nonsense poem that's sort of, um, a little bit like sounds a bit like Cornish. It's lots of wonderful words. So um, in Cornish, there's lots of words that are like that. So I've written one poem that's kind of all. Um, like a made up language that sort of sounds a bit like a microphone. But more often, I would do singing, change of a word into a noun, yeah. like what Shakespeare did, yeah. nanning and verbing. <laughs> was it vanning and nerving? <laughs> when you so you change the kind of use of, uh, of a word to mean something else, and you kind of know what it, you kind of have a sense of what it means, as you know, like the root of the word, because it's used in a slightly different way. Yeah. Yeah, but I think by accident. Okay. I think there words. Yeah. <laughs> you use words all the time now. Not. But I, yeah, I just wonder because just keep using them and people will eventually. Yeah. Shakespeare did it. So yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if you guys were like purists with the English language. See, I'm like, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm a bit of a word nerd, and often if I'm really into a project, I end up looking into the etymology of words like where they've come from um and falling down massive internet holes where i'm just like <laughs> now what does this mean and yeah um because i really like um as beth you know the publication smooch which mm. all those kinds of words that are kind of old and lovely and, and that we've lost oh, yeah because yeah. 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 it's a i want to call it a twitter um, yeah, it's a it's a little alleyway, yes. smooth, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, it's quite, so a twitten is like between buildings and, oh, right. and a smooth is like a little it's a hole in the bottom of the hedge. Ah, so it's not a twitten. It's not a twitten. Yeah, that's another one. a great word. Yeah, it's a Sussex Yeah, I come from many places and I get confused because uh, I also come from Yorkshire where it's a shambles, yeah. what we would call. Like the lemons, yeah. Mm. Ah, okay. That's uh, why it's called the Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Every day's a lemon day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, not for any particular reason, but um, the choice to use one's given name or to take on mm. another name. Uh, and, and the thoughts behind that was that uh, a choice because, well, what were those choices? Okay. You, you use your name. I use yeah. your name. So, um, uh, actually, I thought about it because I was always always been curious as to why you've chosen a different name. Yeah, so but, really, but then it was really uh, nice because you do, and Rachel, you use a different name, and Rachel uses her own, so it's a really yeah. nice kind mm. of. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, it's, it has its downsides because it's you know it can be confusing and you know I can get called both, so it's sometimes it can be awkward. But the bottom line, it's really simple reason for doing it. The first poem that I wrote as a as a grown up um, <laughs> was a very cathartic poem. Yeah, um, you know, so kind of uh, much, you know, kind of in the in the vein of some of some of what we've heard. So, and most of my early poetry was, was exactly that was very um, autobiographical. But this particular poem that was, was the first one that sort of went out there was very very angry about my then ex husband, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be anonymous. I didn't want yeah. him to read it, find it, criticise me about it, and so it was. I wanted an, an anonymity about it, and then having started to publish and perform with that name, it kind of it became a thing. Yeah. Do you feel? Did you feel that you own both? Yeah. 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 It's really kind of, and and sometimes because I write in other media, it's sort of quite helpful to have that's a that's kind of my poetry persona. Yeah. 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 Can I ask um, how long you've both been doing poetry and what inspired you to to do poetry? Um, since I was 11, like I've always kind of written um, and then started kind of as an adult, yeah, always when I was 18. Um, I took a, like I was a teacher and one year when I was about 29, I went to Edinburgh and saw these poets and was like, I was meant to be doing that. <laughs> I was not meant to be doing this. And my boyfriend said, "Well, why don't you go and do that then and stop moaning?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that was the the point, which was maybe three or four years ago now, where I kind of went, "Not only am I going to do this in notebooks secretly, I'm going to do it out loud to, to people." Yeah. So I. Um, I didn't write poetry for years, so I had a very bit of long I wrote a bit, I wrote a bit of very bad poetry when I was two. Um, and then and then really didn't write anything. So I'm mean, sort of occasionally was interested in poetry when they had the um, the poetry on the underground thing. I remember yes. reading a little snippet of a uh, well, no, a whole poem by Caroline Forshay called The Visitor, which is sort of about her. I'm in South America, very sort of powerful, very beautiful, which kind of rekindled something. But I didn't really start writing until this episode. So, you know, bad Ooh. stuff happening to you. <laughs> 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 so, um, I, yeah, so I wrote one poem. I, I went on a workshop where one of the things you had to do was to kind of perform in front of others, and I chose to share. Um, this and another poem, which I'll show you later, which is something positive. Um, I shared both of them, and the response was just so amazing. I thought, I quite like this. So I just read it more. I joined it writing more. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like better. Yeah. Have you guys heard other people reading poems? Because I feel like when you guys were reading the poems, it wasn't quite just you, it was also like performing it. Like how you had somebody else like read your poem and you're like, oh, it's right, 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 right,
you intended, but they might find something else in it. Yeah. So I think that's powerful. But I've never heard them when I'm there, because if I'm there, I would, I would do it. But I, um, I've got something coming up where I can't be there, and they're going to. No, in fact, no, there was something last week, something in Linstead that I couldn't get to, so somebody wrote a poem. I'm but sure they were fantastic. I don't know, but I think that's probably better. I will just, I, you know, I trust that it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would actually be an interesting uh, cast iron windows or whatever this con- continuing uh, thing exists that would be very interesting to have uh, people who uh, describe themselves as poets having a piece, submitting a piece for yeah. someone else to read mm-hmm. yeah. and then experiencing that. Yeah. And that, that's just fascinating for mm-hmm. the audience and the, the writer and the performer. Well, we talked about that as an option, Sam, didn't yeah. we, in case uh, people were kind of going, oh, I don't want to perform it, that we would, um, we, we have a bank of, of actors and performers that are quite happy to do that. So mm-hmm. that was, and it, it turned out that everyone was, Brave, including me, but um, but yeah, we're you know that's I think because that can almost put people off a little bit in you know because the performance is a huge part of it. I think. Mm. I don't know. Well, yeah, not really a question there. I'm just no, no, but it's interesting for me because I definitely started as a writer and have been saying this constantly to people like Sarah and, and Sam who have actual theatre experience. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just wrote some words. <laughs> Kind of looked to me like you. Yeah, yeah. I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's an actor. Just play, really, isn't it? But um, there's something about embodying yeah. the poem, which you know, which you absolutely did. Yeah. And that's because it's interesting. It's fascinating to me. You kind of go. I'd be quite comfortable with that because there's part of me going, my precious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I worked with a director when I was developing the Mistakes show, and sometimes he'd go, I think you should do it like this. And I'd kind of be there going, well, I think you're wrong, and it's my poem. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was in my head. <laughs> you don't say that out loud. You go, yes, let's try that. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> keep forgetting. And I'm going to try it, and I'm going to be horrible. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it should start writing poems with stage directions. <laughs> mm. yeah. Interesting. But I, so I sort of say that because I, I, I worry a little bit about listening to actors do poems because I just sometimes feel that they approach it like a script and the poem isn't a script. Mm. That's so that, that would be a, just a reservation. Yeah, whether that would be a conflict of, yeah, does it have to be? The poet. I suppose it doesn't have to be anything. So I think for me, it, it partly depends on whether it's you know dramatic monologue. So there's lots of poems are dramatic monologues, so they're kind of in the voice of somebody else. So the poet is already so in Underworlds, for example, that's kind of several mm. dramatic monologues. So I'm already taking on somebody else's voice when I'm doing that. Um, so you know, that might lend itself better mm. to. But I suppose you know that. When actors read a poem, they don't necessarily, you know, the skill and understanding how a poem's meant to work, and that that is being balanced with the with the performance of the poem. You know, that's, that's something that they want to get mm-hmm. Having said that, there are some readings of poems that I personally think are better read by an actor than by the poet. You know, mm-hmm. recordings of, so you know, Richard Burton, Richard Burton, Richard Burton, Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. 
fantastic, but it's very different to, to hearing in the Thomas region. Mm-hmm. And I think I did in Thomas region. I think there's something on the poetry scene, isn't there, that for me there's a moment where I think there's something to do with the authenticity and something that's assumed in the poetry world about the ownership of the, of the poet performing their own work that you don't assume it's a persona. This is maybe especially true of the spoken word word world. Yeah. It's very much assumed and kind of taken as written that this is this is personal experience. Um yeah. Mm. Which is then interesting because especially with the mistake show I I've kind of done a separation where I'm going, that's that's not me. I mean, I did all those things, and they all happened to me. But that's that's like a different poem version of me, um, and, and there is some separation there. Mm. Yeah, so it'd be very hard, I suppose, therefore, for someone to read a Kate Tempest poem, mm. someone else to do that. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, in in view of this particular conversation, that because um, I don't know what the difference between uh, a person performing a poem and a spoken word poet is. I don't know what that definition is. Um, But also it feels like, so the work of Dylan Thomas is, you know, I've only ever known it as a piece that I have heard other people performing in that, uh, you know, I have heard that he's done recordings, but, you know, it's this piece that you perform and... Well, it was written as a a radio play. Exactly. Yeah. But it feels like there's an older tradition of that style of writing that expects to be performed by the Well, I, I, I suppose know. Like, you know, soon, I mean, I was thinking when you said Kate Tempest, so in a hundred years' time, will will people be reading Kate Tempest poems? And performing it. And would they read them out loud? So, I, you know, I don't know, but, you know, many of our great poets are dead, which is, you know, it's a... So there is no choice. And the 20th century has been, I would argue, the page poetry was really dominant maybe for the whole of the 20th century and the spoken word thing. Like, as the, the, I mean, what's happening in spoken word at the moment is is really frustrating for 21-year-old me, who was the only 21-year-old writing poems, going, no one else is doing this, and now there's this incredible scene where loads of people are doing it. Um, I do wonder if we're kind of coming out of a period where poems were meant to be read and not heard. Um, That was more a solitary act than than a community act. Yeah. I'm, who's in my head is Ted Hughes. I'm kind of going, Ted Hughes is a poet who I only engage with on the page. Um, and I don't think I've ever heard any of his poetry done out loud. So um, there are recordings of Ted Hughes reading his poetry. I assume they are, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm doing yeah. it a disservice. Yeah, maybe but, I but I think... Yeah. So can I ask, because um, I was trying to have this conversation with a friend the other evening. So I go and see a lot of like um, Hammer and Tongue where it's a hip hop artist first Mm. poet. Sometimes Mm. it is. And sometimes it's, you know, rappers. Rappers and MCs. You know, and we were discussing the kind of differences between hip hop poets, 
spoken word because when I googled it, it said that spoken word is just poetry said out loud. That was what Google gave me. <laughs> but, I, but I also um, uh, understand the head shaking. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it seems obviously that it's this, like you described, you talked about it being kind of like this world of uh, spoken word. So I just wonder from your perspectives, you know, those. I, yeah, I think that I, I'd almost described it as like a genre. Yeah. Um, and I'd go, no, these are the these are the rules of spoken word, and here's how they're different from page poetry. So spoken word is very concerned with the emotional. Hmm, do other people, because I'm aware there are very knowledgeable people about poetry in the room, but what I think spoken word is trying to do is it's trying to get you almost purely here and not so much here. And it grows, spoken word kind of, the current spoken word scene comes a lot from America, a lot from an African-American tradition. It's a, it's a poetry of resistance, but it's not intellectual. It's, it's, it has, it is political, it's often political, but it's, it's political in your belly rather than your brain. Whereas when I was listening to you, I was kind of going, Oh, all those lovely, clever metaphors and and and, and, and imagery and um, things that I I am going to share. I should really try and do more of that because I tend to lose the spoken word. And uh, here's the thing: what happened? Um, but I think that you know, so I, they, I think they have a different personality. Yeah. You know, just as 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 poets have different personalities. So just you know, so do the poems they write, but they tend to be, I think. A kind of style that lends itself to spoken word, and that spoken word tends to encourage, mm. which would be, you know, as you said, very, very sonic. Yeah. So all about yeah, the sounds, sounds, all about sounds. the rhythm, um, and then lyrical poetry, which is what would be more often could be just read on the page, but it's better heard, um, tends to be a, a bit more complex and mm. has slightly different. You know, if you're sticking to a form, it has slightly different rules. So well, that's something I think spoken word could really learn from page poetry, because you mm. were talking about writing sonnets, and sometimes I'm desperate for spoken word to have a little bit more discipline and to know a bit more about things like meter mm. yeah. and rhyme schemes, because I think it could it could kind of take some spoken word. I go to hammer and tongue a lot, and I'm kind of going, oh. I think it's only, I can't remember who it is, um, I'm not back to me. I think it might be David Moore who's at Warwick who writes about poetry, so there's, there's, a, there's a kind of school of thought that if, that, um, that having some kind of structure if required in a poem when you write it helps with the kind of the editing and the choices you make, even if you then choose, decide that it doesn't want to be a particular form, so it goes off into three verse, but it Retains some of that as this discipline would be the kind of, you know, the shorthand way of saying it. Because, I mean, when I, so I started off writing three verse, so I, I didn't rhyme stuff, I didn't use a particular form, and Michaela knows this even kind of, um, actually, Michaela probably the person who most encouraged me to think about writing in form, um, for which I owe her a huge amount of, um, of thanks. And, so I'd sort of hardly written anything until until then, a few years ago. Um, 
what I found in writing the sonnets, which was really hard to begin with, because I, I kind of wanted to not write the sonnet, but the challenge was write a sonnet every day. <laughs> you start finding that you're having to make editorial choices. You know, if you have to find a word, you know, it, it doesn't exist, you might have to make one up, but you have to be really canny about finding the words that fit in order to do something. And some of those poems didn't end up being a sonnet, but I'd discovered some different vocabulary and some different sounds that I wouldn't have had in there if I hadn't started with that, with that in mind. A bit harder, I think, yeah. if you're working to a form, you have to be, the restriction makes you inventive in ways you yeah. And I thought I would hate it, but actually, I, you know, I quite like it. So, and I think the other thing is finding a form that works. So the, that last poem that I read, the, the Eurydice poem, is a form called a rubaiyat. So you know the kind of rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam? Yep, no. So the rubaiyat is a form of poetry where you've got what's called a quatrain, so it's four yeah. lines, three of them rhyme and one of them's odd. And it can vary where the odd one is, but in this form it's, it's A, A, B, A. And it has a has a a kind of inevitability of it, and it's fantastic for storytelling. Mm. So you know the reason I think that poem just kind of goes, <gasps> is <showing. laughs> the form. Yeah. You know, I, I don't feel I could sustain a poem of that length without something carrying it along. So that mm. so sometimes that's what the form yeah. can do for you. I certainly because I I'm a playwright and a prose writer, naturally. So when I approached this for tonight, I kind of went straight to form and Stephen Fry, and the <laughs> ode less travelled. So beginner's poetry, and kind of went, okay, I am a bit pentameter, what are the rules? <laughs> and just immediately, because I kind of thought otherwise, it'll just be a story, because I'm completely new. So I was kind of, form helped me with the with the scaffolding, mm -hmm. I suppose, mm -hmm. and then that sense of going, okay, I have to counsel. Not, I knew that that's obviously there's no rules and what have you, but I, I like a form. And then thinking that, I, okay, I have to counsel the balls, but I'm allowed eleven on that one, blah, 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 and then because apparently that's a thing. And when are you allowed eleven? I don't know. There's something about a feminine. I don't know. I may have just read, but I was going, oh, that's eleven, and that's it. But it did just force you, and I'm still learning about stressed, unstressed, and yeah. things like that. And I just love it. And the mm. idea of going, well, that's stressed, so I'm going to swap those two around. Oh, it's, yeah, it's real nitty gritty of. of Words that yeah. turn into a total nerd when you think about it in that way constantly. <laughs> you say turn. I've turned into a total nerd. Have I? If I could just ask Sam, could you explain just because we've been talking about sonnets as if we all know okay. what they are? Yeah. What is the form of a sonnet? Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know. So, uh, I don't know. So when we did the 40 sonnets thing, yep. there were lots of different challenges for slightly different versions of sonnets. So right. there are there are many there are lots of different forms of sonnets. Okay. But it, bottom line is it's it's a 14 line poem. Okay. Um, which is why so so it's called 14 because it's 14 ah, 14 line poems. Ah, whatever, 14 awesome. Poems. Yeah. Um, so it's a 14 line poem. But there are, there are different 
forms of that. So there's a Shakespearean sonnet, which has a particular form. I, I will run out of facts, sure. So in some forms, there are eight lines and then four lines, and one answers the other. So in a typical Shakespearean, which is so lovely and drunk, the one about the, the, hangover, mm. the, the, the hangover the and then the night before, is a there's sort of there's two, a poem of two halves. Mm. So you kind of set out one argument, and then you there's a what's called a volta a turn where mm. you take a different point of view. So Shakespeare would typically go, um, you know, you're an ugly old hag and I hate you, and here are all the reasons why I shouldn't, and you know, love is terrible, and you know, all the, and then you'll go, but. <laughs> <laughs> How much I love you, really, you know, all yeah, of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So that's a kind of typical okay. um, formatting of the, the summit. They, they're usually in um, iambic pentameter, which means that they have four, about ten stresses. Which is why we sit on a train. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's either, I'm either doing that or learning lines. Um, there's a Trafen sonnet, which is a different format. Um, which came many... before the Shakespearean, yes. didn't it? Yes. The Shakespearean grows out of the Italian trope. So the Italian one is 662. Oh gosh, it's a long time since I did my degree in English. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how did you learn some, this? Yeah, sometimes <laughs> they're nested, so you would sort of you'd have a rhyme scheme, so sometimes they're like A, B, A, B, C, B, and C, D. E E, sometimes you go A B B A, you know. So there's there are lots of different lots of ways of playing with it. Mm. But but sonnets can also be not rhymed, not okay. metered. You know. E E Cummings. Yes. Writes the like writes sonnets, but does all kind of beautiful deconstructed things with his sonnets. And mm. I think I was invented a new form of sonnets. Ooh. Um, <laughs> <called a twonnet>. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter age. And then conveniently, uh, a, a sonnet has 140, 140 characters. Twitter has 140 characters. Yeah. Do you think that's why they did it? Like unconsciously. Yeah. And now you. Um, <laughs> create a Stay tuned for, for a poetry evening in the future yeah. where we will come back to the book. Maybe you should have a sonnet all by Twitter. Maybe you sonnet of the dress of my son. Yes. Yes. I've just got 14 lines in it. Don't thank me for listening. You say you're not good at speaking about things like this, but you don't need to be. So, so some do all sorts of things. Um, do you imagine your poems going into any other mediums, like animation or music? Mm-hmm. Or I know you said you said you put it on some of your work on stage, but I just wondered if you had any like pure visual or other avenues you'd see it going down. On my to-do list is it, which is long <laughs> and forty lines. <laughs> oh god, it's so much longer than forty lines. Um, I'm quite desperate to have a play with YouTube um, and with how poems could be done there. Um, 
I also have been thinking, I really like the poem about pussies. I'm, yeah, I'm quite kind of passionate about women's uh, sexual health and was thinking, sod it, I should just fly post it around Brighton and be like, ladies, welcome to your vaginas. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would love to see like a show just about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I want to oh, see it. Well, good, because, because that is that's in the time. <laughs> We're there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I think one of the things about any kind of creativity is you have to think of it as being just playing. Mm. And when your teacher, it was the afternoon in primary school, and they went, go off and do whatever you want. You have to kind of approach it with that attitude where you're like, it would be fun to... I made a poem recently, um, which is, it folds up into a house. It's about feeling homesick. And so you unfold it. And there is the poem, and yeah, things like that. I really like just mucking about. Wow! I love the idea of that. It was a Valentine's Day present for my boyfriend. It's like the, the if you're a poet, like I've done you a poem, there you go. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ask you how long it took to to write that. I'm always interested in how long it takes somebody to edit it and mm. like on oh. average. The poem I gave it to him and then I realised it wasn't finished when he left it lying around the house and I was like, Oh god no, that needs several more drafts. Um <laughs> <laughs> Is it for me how how long it takes to redraft, I'm kind of looking at you because I'm interested to know what it is for you. Some poems um, come really quickly, and the second poem I did about the going to the plant clinic um, is pretty much how it was when I first wrote it. Whereas the Field Spotter's Guide about vaginas took me five drafts and performing it and hearing it wasn't quite right and redrafting it again and again and again. Um, hmm. How about you? So I, I mean, I've got poems I've, I've probably performed that I'm still that I might still tweak. So it can take a very you know a long time. Um, but one of the things I discovered during with the sonnet thing because you have to do it on the day you were supposed, mm. you were supposed to. So I didn't do much else. <laughs> but I but I submitted a poem pretty much every day. Um, and and some of them I sort of took away and I kind of fine tuned. But I had bones of bones of. I had the bones of a sonnet, um, you know, in, in a day. So, so in a couple of redrafts. Normally, I would write something, sit on it for quite a long time, and come back to it several times. And when you're putting them out, it sounds like you were making. So they were. So this was a. This is so. If you if you want the stimulation to kind of to make you write more, then being part of something that requires you to do something is great. So I'm on a couple of Facebook. Poetry oh, writing groups yeah. where we kind of critique each other, but it's it's more about the commitment to yeah. do something. So Forty Sonnets was a was a Facebook group, and we were taking turns to write a prompt. So again, if I go on a workshop, I hate being given my writing prompt mm. workshop. But actually, in that in that context, it works really well for me because it makes you know it's a stimulus. But but sometimes, so I'm um, I'm. Writing a poem about about rainfall at the moment, I'm kind of redrafting that. But mm. but in that instance, it's, it feels so precious mm. and sensitive that I you know I think it's going to take a long time. Maybe the timing 
a long time after mm. it finishes because it just feels. Do you think it will evolve in the sense that what is right, what is its rightful shape now, may not be the same rightful shape in three months, three so, years, thirty years? Yeah, that poem means it. Yeah, or so and or in general. Um, I so there might be a better poem or a different poem to write in twenty years' time, but I guess the thing is, as an artifact, I I would use. I would use it as a launch pad to write a poem if it was mm. true right now. Mm-hmm. And and it becomes most of my poems become not about what I started writing mm-hmm. about. Yeah. So yeah. so a lot of this is kind of that that um bed, the bed poem is sort of in response to a bit of sculpture that actually came about, you know, personal experience and mm. it all gets muddled up into what's it really about. Yeah. Mm. And I think I don't sort of tinker forever, it's kind of like, well, you know, captured that moment. I mean, your moment, which I you sent me that on Twitter, didn't you? Face, face your poem. No, no, so this has been sent to you by someone else. <laughs> Posted <laughs> it on your Facebook. I did post it on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Okay, and you had seen it somewhere. Oh, of course, yeah, because we're friends on Facebook. And you're everywhere. That strikes if that's a, you know absolutely of the moment. You know, it's kind yeah. of really a, a now poem. And whether you feel the same way about all of the things you felt in three weeks' time doesn't make the poem any less strong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Although so I think good. there is something about sticking. Mm-hmm. It's also about, um, I think, when I listen to a poem, it may be about somebody else's personal experience, but you could perceive it totally different to something that's happened to you. Yeah. So obviously, um, hearing your poem reminds me of nights out that I've been on, or mm-hmm. the, the um, poem that you're currently writing in a yeah. few years' time. Somebody might not even be aware that that happened, but for them it might take meaning in a different way, yeah. mm-hmm. even though it's about a fire, you know, mm-hmm. for them it might be you know, something that, a burning issue in their life, right then and there, but they just see it as a metaphor, sort of. So, sorry. I was going to say, that's how I know when it's done, because there's a moment where, where I can tell it has that potential to resonate, Mm -hmm. and that's when I can step away from things. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really interesting doing the show, because I was kind of working, progressing it, and there were times where I was, I kind of gone, I've done this poem! And then I'd perform it and go, oh, no, no, <laughs> boring, no connection. Everyone was kind of staring off, that's wrong. Um, yeah, and, and it's when when you make eye contact with someone, that's why I really like performing, and you can see them kind of going, yes, that's, that's when it's done. So I think that's, it's that universality, and when you when it starts to you know, can speak to others, and they, they would read what they want to read into it, which might not be what you meant when you wrote it. And I think sometimes that's where, I mean, certainly I, when I was writing you know, a few years ago, I, I would struggle to let go of, of what actually happened in order mm, to make a better poem. So there is a question about whether the, you know, why are you writing? Are you writing mm. to kind of, is it biographical? Do you want to capture how you feel about something? It's almost like a diary, in which case, yes, you want to, it wants to be absolutely true for you. Or are you using it as a starting point to write something that might speak to others? You said it, you know, you've, you've moved oh, beyond kind of, it's actually my experience. It's slightly it's over there, yeah. That's um, actually something that struck me as a question about the spoken word form as to whether it was documentary as a form. So I don't know whether it's always documentary, but it, it is most often in the first person. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's come up, you know, 
this is what I feel, this is what you should do. It's very yeah. much a, like a conversation or a mm. kind of disclosure of me, whereas a lot of other poetry would be a, a kind of, I see this thing over here. Yeah. Or distance. It, I think it's just a different lens, different point of view. Mm. It's not, not necessarily any more distant, but it's okay. kind of not, this is us. Mm -hmm. I don't know. No, I'm with you, and I'm kind of going, oh, it's like the different bits of the brain. Spoken word is a bit more amygdala, which is, I'm a bit of a nerd for these things, the quick and dirty bits of your brain, which is a dreadful thing to say about spoken words. <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> so, yeah, like it's the animal, it's the primal, it's, yeah, the, it's the, yeah. the gut reaction. Yeah. yeah. I think another, it's occurred to me that another important distinction between spoken words and page poetry that isn't doesn't seem to be often talked about and it occurred to me quite recently was as a spoken word performer you're up there and it's happening in real time mm. right mm. so mm. and then uh, the page poet you can spend as much time as you need reading yeah. the poem and so yeah. and so i think it means mm. that as a spoken word performer you are necessarily going to have to uh, communicate your ideas more simply mm. because we're listening to it, yeah. you know, at, at each line. And as the line is said, yeah. as soon as it's said, it's gone. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that and that does. So I sometimes don't read the poems. Or, you know, my favourite poems I wouldn't necessarily read or perform because they don't necessarily they don't translate if you can't. So the sound is important, but you, you know, sometimes you want to come back to it and go, ah. There's a written, yeah, the written where you can communicate more complex ideas, I think, some, if, you're, if you're reading the poem. Some of my favourite page poetry is stuff that as soon as you finish it, you have to go back yeah. to the start and do it again. Mm. To me, that is the mark of the pen that I've really liked on the page. Um, and, and there are some forms that you, you know, so like, is it a speculum that kind of... That, ah, yes, that does... That mirrors on itself, so the lines, um, the lines kind of repeat in reverse order and mm -hmm. where... They can be absolutely fascinating and beautiful. I'm trying to really work out that. Mm -hmm. Let's see if that's what's happening. Well, I've got one more question about with page writing. So, when when you are you particular about your fonts? <laughs> not, not at all. Good question. Do you yeah, like? You'd be quite happy for it being comic sans. I used to be a primary school teacher. <laughs> fully at home with comic sans. Yeah. Very particular about my. <laughs> 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 Do they vary from pop to pop? Uh, um. No, not particularly. It's just what you know because um, the artifacts are put up, mm. so I put them into wrote into pamphlets. Which so are over yeah. here. Yeah, the merch table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it matters. So schmooze, which is so let me just say a couple of things about mm. schmooze before we finish. So schmooze um, is a Sussex word for a little gap in a hole and a window through which we might see something secret or wonderful. Um, and it's the title of the poetry magazine that I edit. Uh, so we had our first edition as part of Home Grow because it was a good competition. So we, we published the winning poems of the competition and some nine for the submissions. And I'm hoping to publish it uh, three or four times a year. Um, so if you've got poetry that you would like to see published, then send it. Particularly if there's some schmooze like 
poems, so small, surprising, um, yeah, unusual. So, um, and in schmooze, I had a very conscious decision about what sort of thing I wanted it to be. So it looks very fresh. I think it's Ditto. Michelle is for the yes, podcast. Yeah. Michelle is displaying. <laughs> 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 and, and the Halloween. In cut up 
leopard print fleece caveman club <laughs> deflated <laughs> rare his loaned sweatshirt not quite covering their knees unlocked bonus level <laughs> coatless in a strange city, searching for a pharmacy. <laughs> right, um, you have to choose now between a slightly geeky poem about poetry, poetry quiz, what kind of poem am I? Or a an ode to um, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Oh, mm-hmm. How are we going to decide? A vote for the what am I poetry? Quiz. What kind of poem am I? Okay. Let's So there's a part of this that doesn't work um, out loud because it's a ah. shape. I'll show it to you. What kind of poem am I? White space, a few short words, a woman sits, your nature's child paired back, a haiku fits. You tell in rhyme the benefits of bog roll, how it will save the world. Your kind is dog roll. Romantic, crave someone to dozen you, a stubborn person, person too, a dozen you. This is very poetry. <laughs> to say, um, shaped. You're made of tougher stuff. Your shape is neat, embodied, and robust. Your type, concrete. <laughs> Your head is a mess of conflictions full of the different kinds of consciousness all swirling around, <laughs> like stench and dripping blood, all the meat factory, dead flies, dead carcasses, the terrible maggots of space and conception, and the unnameable touch of skin, because death is better, <laughs> your type is beat. <laughs> you breathe in life and wander down a twist of lanes, the whole, world, whole world's rhythm rhyme, you're on it. No. <laughs> you know that all will turn out for the best, my dearest girl, you are on your seats, lots of contact details and things and bits and bobs to let you know who we are. And we have our, our merchandise table <laughs> over here. So we do peruse. Shmooze. And um, yeah, cool. pamphlets and stuff. So have a merch. Before you go down your twin. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> 
And do keep an eye out for Sweet Pennies and when we will be doing this again with Carl Stein. Yeah. And Schmooze. Mm-hmm. Actually, I keep putting C-H in there. It's just Smooze. 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 Yeah, right. Smooze. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the bar. <laughs> this has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donkey. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, cast underscore iron acts. On Facebook, ironclad cast iron, all one word. Our website is castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening.